Putin's war freezes Arctic research. That story and more on H2O Radio's weekly news report. I'm Jamie Sudler. I'm Franny Halperin, and it's This Week in Water. Last week, the United Nations IPCC, or Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, released its latest report, and there is cause for hope. But there's also a dire warning. This is the decade we must act if we are going to avoid the worst effects of global warming. The IPCC says that human-caused climate change has already taken a toll. About half of the almost 8 billion people in the world experience severe water scarcity for at least a month every year, and extreme heat waves, droughts, and wildfires have increased in frequency, far beyond their natural variability. The assessment focuses on protecting vulnerable people. Poverty and the lack of basic infrastructure worsen the problems of global warming for millions. The report urges everyone, including governments, businesses, and individuals, to move rapidly to meet the goal of limiting global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius or 2.7 degrees Fahrenheit above pre-industrial levels. If greenhouse gases keep being emitted, every fraction of increase in temperature will magnify the losses from extreme events. However, according to leading climate researcher Michael Mann, the good news is that opportunities do exist to move quickly away from fossil fuels and to bring greenhouse gas emissions down by 50% in the next decade. The Arctic is warming four times faster than the global average, but the Russian invasion of Ukraine could freeze any cooperation in the polar region. Last week, seven of the eight nations that make up the Arctic Council the United States, Canada, Denmark, Finland, Iceland, Norway, and Sweden announced they were suspending all their work indefinitely because Russia, also a member, had violated the Council's core principles of sovereignty and territorial integrity. The Arctic Council was created in 1996 as a way for countries and indigenous groups in the polar north to work together on issues like climate change, sustainable development, and environmental protection. But Russia's actions have caused research expeditions to come to a grinding halt. For example, the U.S. and Russia had been jointly managing a group of 3,000 polar bears that crossed between the two countries. After the invasion, U.S. Fish and Wildlife ordered government researchers to stop communicating with their Russian partners and cancel travel plans. Under Russian leadership, the Arctic Council was to conduct research on thawing permafrost, a pressing issue for the northern part of that country. But the work is now in serious doubt, as is cooperative science on migratory birds, Pacific salmon, and ocean currents. James Morrison, an oceanographer at the University of Washington, said, It looks like Iron Curtain 2 has come down between us, adding that it was a small concern relative to the suffering of the Ukrainian people, but unfortunate nonetheless. The room erupted in cheers and applause last week at the United Nations Environment Assembly when nearly 200 countries agreed to draft a first-ever treaty to curb the growth of plastic pollution. The agreement is not just about litter, like water bottles that get tossed and end up on beaches. Rather, the framework of the treaty would cover the full life cycle of plastics, from design and production to disposal. The agreement has been hailed as the most important multilateral climate deal since the 2015 Paris Accord on Global Warming. 
About 7 billion tons of the plastic produced since the middle of last century are now waste. Three quarters of that is littered on land, deposited in landfills, and accumulates in aquatic environments. The UN estimates that less than 10% has ever been recycled. Plastic products release toxins and greenhouse gases during their life cycle. The treaty will cover packaging design, both to cut plastic use and improve recycling. And it will provide financial and technical assistance to developing countries. A draft of the treaty is expected to be finalized by 2024. Finally, Saudi Arabia is predominantly desert, so it would be the last place you'd expect to grow a crop, but researchers did by pulling water out of thin air. Scientists at King Abdullah University used solar panels and a special hydrogel to sprout and grow spinach. Solar panels typically only convert about 20% of the energy they absorb into electricity. The rest is released as heat. Instead of letting that heat go to waste, the researchers developed a unique hydrogel that can absorb more than its weight in moisture and spread a layer of it on the back of the panel. While deserts are dry, there is moisture in the air, especially at night, and that's when the gel absorbed water vapor. Once the hydrogel was heated during the day, it released the water, in this case, to around 60 spinach seedlings in a planting box below. After two weeks, the plants were seven inches tall. The gel also had the added benefit of cooling the panels and increasing their energy output. The atmosphere holds an estimated 12.9 billion tons of fresh water, an amount that through these types of harvesting processes could potentially meet the needs of more than 2 billion people worldwide, while also providing electricity and food security. That's it for This Week in Water, which is sponsored by Bring Back the Blue, working to remove plastics from the ocean to support energy projects and the blue economy. Learn more at bringbacktheblue.blue.